0: Hi, guys, this is Jamie DeWire, and you are listening to Talking with TK.
1: Hey, guys, welcome to episode 106 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're going to be changing sports today. We've got one of the greatest hockey players of all time in Jamie Dwyer joining us on the show. If you haven't heard of Jamie before, well, he's an absolute legend of world hockey. He's accomplished a career. He is the most capped kookaburra of all time with 365 appearances. He's won a three Olympic gold, three Olympic medals, including one gold in 2004. His record speaks for itself, an absolute stellar career Goal scorer, he won two golds, three Commonwealth golds, six champion trophy goals, gold, sorry, and was also an astonishing, which is something I can't really see across any sport. It's five times World Hockey Player of the Year. So when you consider how great someone like even Mark Knowles was, he only did it once. So most people in their careers only do do it once, that's how competitive The world of hockey is. But yeah, this gentleman's done it five times. So if you're comparing especially if you're listening in Australia, he's like the modern day, let's say Cameron Smith or Jonathan Thurston of hockey. So really excited to get Jamie Dwyer on because not only is he a hockey player, he's a great off the field, he's a great ambassador. He runs a great business as well. He's got several businesses. So he's right into his entrepreneurship as well. Has great, you know, obviously experience with if you've listened to our previous episodes with the likes of Rick Charlesworth and Mark Knowles, you'll both hear them both speak so highly of Jamie. So it really was great to kind of complete that trifecta because I know how important those three guys are to the hockey community. So a big thank you to everyone tuning in. Numbers for Season 2 are through the roof. So guys, really thank you for continuing. I'm sure that it's a word-of-mouth thing. So keep telling your family and friends. I really appreciate you spreading the word. If you want to check out all the episodes, you can log on online, www.talkingwithtk.com. You'll be able to access any of the episodes, the previous 105 episodes on there, plenty across all different sort of sports. Or if you, you're your normal podcast apps, such as your Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts or Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., etc., just search Talking With TK and you'll be able to access all that. If you can, please leave me a review on your podcast app. It really helps me to continue to build the show and, you know, continue to push forward. So, really appreciate it if you've got a couple of minutes just to leave an honest review. If you do want to get in touch, I'd love for you to connect with me on my Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK, so you'll never miss a thing if you just add me on there, I'll add you back. Or old school email, please, if you want to have a yarn or any guest requests or suggestion from the show, I'm always up for that. So please send through anything, Tristan at talking with Alright, guys, let's get to it. And I introduce the legend, Jamie Dwyer. <laughs> All right, guys, my special guest today is Jamie Dwyer. Jamie is a legend of world hockey. His accomplishments, including being the most capped kookaburra of all time with 365 appearances, he won three Olympic medals, including a gold in 2004. He's won two World Cup golds, three Commonwealth golds, six champion trophies, and was also a five-time World Hockey Player of the Year. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie Dwyer. Thank you. Very good to be here. Absolute pleasure, mate. You know that introduction... With all these medals, and did you have to build a room to actually <laughs> cater for all your, your accomplishments?
0: Uh,
1: not yet. Uh, it's on the to do list, that's for
0: sure. <laughs> my yeah. wife actually bought a house while I was in, at the Rio Olympics a couple of years ago. Yeah. And in that house, uh, which I'm still living in at the moment, I've got plans to, to do a bit of a room with all my memorabilia and. Uh, trophies and medals and everything which would be pretty cool yeah
1: so where you keep just in storage at the moment
0: uh it's bits and pieces everywhere it used to be in my nana's underwear drawer so no one would steal it (laughs) been Rockhampton, the gold medal and a few other uh, medals but now it's um it's in a safe uh all my medals and all my shirts i have hanging up at my house ready to get framed and Put up
1: on the wall. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the start because I love an origin story. So you're from Rocky, mate, and obviously your parents are. F- how did was were they always from Rocky?
0: Yeah, they were. So we did the family tree uh, on both sides of my family, and on my mum's side, we it went back to coming off the ship. I think. um
1: But straight to Rocky.
0: No, from into. Oh, we didn't, we couldn't find how far it went back, but. Uh, like generations of Australia, Australia, Australia. So it was like I think we were off the convict ship into the Sydney Harbour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was my great 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 granddad or something. Um but yeah, we we're we went straight my parents were born in Rockhampton, their parents were born in Rockhampton, their parents were born, so it's generations from Rockhampton, yeah.
1: Well and it's been a family thing in hockey from the very start, because your parents yeah. played as well, right?
0: Yeah, that's the thing about hockey is that it's very family-orientated sport, and in Rockhampton, there's not too much to do when I was growing up, so it was hockey in the winter and cricket in the summer, yeah. and um, yeah, I used to love going down to the hockey grounds at on a Saturday morning, play a couple of games of hockey, and then quickly head home for a lunch break, and then... Mum and Dad would get ready to play, and then they'd go back and play in the afternoon. I'd play with all my mates and um, you know my sisters were there, and I'd other cousins and my nana I'd always go ask my nana for two dollars to get a chocolate milkshake <laughs> and um, yeah, it was definitely good memories and that sort of that environment made me fall in love with the game, that's for sure and then mm. as I got older, you know really the competitive side of me um really you know kicked in and i tried to yeah hopefully one day um go to the olympic games and be the best player i possibly could so that's where it all started back in hampton
1: with being so family orientated you know your wife's from holland and she was a player as well have your kids started playing yet
0: yeah definitely um my uh, three kids one's nine his name's julian taj is seven and Zara's three, and um, yeah, they play hockey already. Uh, my my daughter doesn't, but she's got a hockey stick, and she goes and whacks the ball around in the backyard from uh, now now and then, now and then. So yeah, it is a family orientated sport, and that's the good thing about hockey. I think is that it's very family orientated, but also it's fifty percent male, fifty percent female. Yep. Um, you can travel all around the world; like the opportunities, you can go anywhere. You can go to New York and join a hockey team and meet friends. You can go to India, you can go to South Africa, Japan, wherever you want in the world. And yeah. you can start as young as four years of age or you can go up to 90 if you can still run around. So that's, uh, I think, the beauty of hockey and that's one thing I really love about it.
1: Yeah. is it to make it even more fun? You know how, like, in rugby league, there's always a pathway to becoming this big professional sort of NRL player. Is it more fun because realistically, there isn't like a big professional league within Australia and you can just kind of enjoy it just for the love of the sport?
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's what I did. I just enjoyed the sport and I wanted to be the best hockey player I possibly could and wanted to reach Olympic Games and World Cups, etc., but uh, the money isn't there in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is different pathways. I guess my pathway was to reach the Australian team and then from the Australian team hopefully go to the Olympics. Uh, um, for other people, for girls, for example, they might just want to um, – there's a pathway to go to college in USA or yeah, okay. other players. There's, there's always a – you know, you can go as far as you want with hockey You and have for fun, play for fun. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it, it is different to the NRL AFLs, that's for sure.
1: Mm. So growing up, you picked up the, the what the bat at about four years old. How many? What, what's the development like for a junior player? Like how long? Like what is? You know how they have six aside in in soccer until they get to a, a certain age. Yeah. How is kind of those early sort of years for the for a hockey player?
0: Yeah, it's it's similar. You play on a smaller field, modified field. They called it minkies when I was growing up. Okay. Then you go to modified, then you start under 11s. Uh, and similar these days, you've got, um, now my kids are in, uh, one's in minky, the other one's in five, sixes, uh, which is their year, I guess. Yep. Grade five, and six. Then you go up into the under 11s, under 13s. So, yeah, it's still similar. What it is now is what it was when I was growing up, but... Yeah, it's and I guess also there's summer competition as well now where it's six aside and there's yeah. indoor hockey and there's heaps of different forms of the game.
1: Yeah, when you were growing up, did any of the Australian players come visit Rocky? Did you have a few <laughs> heroes in
0: there? No, no one came and visited Rockhampton at um, all. Nah. <clears throat> but uh,
1: Thank I God guess, for you and Mark then.
0: Yeah, me and Mark and my cousin Matt Godas, who also was in the Olympics in uh, two thousand sixteen and two thousand twelve. So well, I watched, telev- I watched the Olympic Games in 92. Yep. When the men got the silver medal and um, I watched the 94 World Cup, which was in Sydney, mm-hmm. and um, that was a crazy, awesome World Cup. Shabazz armored from Pakistan was just unbelievable and th- the Dutch guys were always good. And I watched these videos and just uh, tried to then go out in the backyard and try and do what they did on the video and then once I could do it I'd go back inside
1: so you you taped them on the VHS didn't you and then you would just watch them over and over yeah yeah I
0: just uh taped it and then come home from school and watch it pretty much for an hour and a half and uh then go and practice and did a bit of homework
1: and uh that Pakistan guy that you mentioned did that is that what you modeled your own game on
0: Oh, I didn't really model my own game off anyone but there was he was definitely entertaining to watch yeah. and he had some of the best hands and skills and pace that I'd seen um in hockey and back those days you could uh, he dominated he dominated a game of hockey and then there was people like Turdanoy who was also at that World Cup in 94 yeah. who went on to keep playing till 2012 he was a legend he was another person who could changed the game and is a is a person that I would uh, always go and watch and just watch. And I was lucky I got to play with Turn in Holland, but also against him uh, a lot, Australia versus Holland. So I guess I looked at those players and I just learnt by taking little bits and pieces. Yeah. And then you got the Germans who were very defensive orientated, like indoor skills, but what they did was... very effective as well so i'd take parts of their game and just add it to my game and i grew up on grass so okay i played hockey on grass until i was 17 and then my last year in rockhampton i played on turf and then i moved to brisbane to join a better competition so it's very hard to practice those skills on grass
1: so that was kind of your advantage though because you got so good playing on grass that yeah
0: I, I think so. I yeah. think um, it's a different game, that's for sure, but my hand-eye coordination and just different skills you learn from grass is is beneficial, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, but you just talked about hand-eye coordination because you're quite good at cricket too, and you also had, used to have a hit on golf too, right? So those yeah. kind of mix of... Do you think that kind of contributed to... To kind of your your skills because of the fact that you're doing a lot of that sort of hand eye stuff.
0: I'm not too sure if it contributed, but I think that I'm I just really passionate for uh, batting a ball. I guess (laughs) (laughs) I just like going out there and whacking the ball. I still do, whether it's cricket or hockey or golf. Uh, I like just hitting the ball hard, and um, I was I I was good at it. So, Um, but I practice and practice, and it doesn't. You know, there's a certain amount of natural ability there, but. Like all, I guess, great sportsmen, you have to train really hard. And I did it, you know, just because I loved it. Mm. But now I look retired for a couple of years. I look back and went, yeah, I did it a lot more than a lot of other people that I know. Um, nearly everyone, really. I always, even when I retired a couple of years ago, I still had the, when I was mucking around in the Olympic Village or in the hotel room, I'd have the stick and ball just dribbling through the hotel or where none of the other guys really did that to, as much as what I did, that's yeah. for sure. And that just, um, yeah, now I look back at it, I was like, okay, yeah, that's probably why I had, I had good hand-eye coordination and was good at uh, quick hands. It's in kind hockey. of like that
1: 10,000. Yeah, have you heard of that 10,000? Yeah, 000? I've I heard re- about that, yeah. What do you reckon of that? It must have been, you probably did 30,000 the way you...
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, by the end of it, I would have done more than 10,000. But I think, um, yeah, I think with kids especially these days you see the ones who i coach a lot a yeah. lot of juniors and you see ones that are talented and you see ones that are have got potential but really are out there and they've got that killer in- instinct in their eye and they really would do anything to to get better and to improve yeah you know, because they love the game or just because they they want to do it so you really need to want to do it and i've i've always wanted to do it and yeah i'm um, I guess now, when I look back on my career and what I achieved, I guess now I look back and go, "What made me uh, achieve what I achieved?" Because mm. when I did retire, I was very happy. I guess that I could look in the mirror, and I was I was happy that I achieved. I was I was happy that I became the best player that I could possibly become, and not a lot of people can say that. I yeah. don't think, and that's one thing I was proud of. And now I look back on what made that. Happen, And I'll try and um, look at my kids and see how they're developing. I'll try and look at other kids and see what they're passionate about. And yeah. just I'm curious, you know, what sort of made it tick for me yeah. and
1: why I did what I did. It's interesting because, you know, you weren't the biggest bloke. Oh, no. So you had to obviously make it up in different ways and you, you found your actual way of making it up with your work ethic off the field and your dedication to your craft.
0: Yeah, I was never, oh, not the tallest guy, I was never the strongest, I was never the fastest uh, person uh, growing up or even when I was at my top of my game. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I worked hard at it and, you know, I... I think that I did more off the field uh, when I wasn't at training than probably all the other guys, like not just hitting uh, the ball in the change rooms or uh, at the hotel or in my house. I'd also go for a run or go to gym or do something to yeah. to make myself better. And when I learnt my game, like my strengths, my weaknesses, um, I sort of knew what I had to work on, yeah. and that was not just on the on the field but off the field with my body. Uh, if I had to get faster, um, if I had to be less injury-prone, mm-hmm. uh, fitter, better change of direction, better acceleration. So I sort of worked that out pretty quickly in my career, and I worked hard on it, that's for sure. And, and uh, yeah, it made me a better hockey player, and, and then I just kept learning, and that's the trick. You just got to keep learning, and my competitive spirit was always there like i hate losing that's for sure and i love winning and yeah sometimes you lose and sometimes you win but no matter what when i went to tournaments and when i was competing at the highest level i wanted to be at my best and then if you're at your best if you win great if you lose you can cop it on the chin but if you go to those tournaments and you're not at your best and you lose it's it's hard to swallow so I just made sure that I was at my best and tried to keep learning all the time. Yeah. How old were you when you met Mark? Oh, when he was born, pretty much. Uh, so <laughs> I was five. Uh, he he was lived in Rockham, then he went away for a little while, I think, and then he came back. But his parents and my parents grew up playing hockey. Uh, my dad and his dad played hockey together, and his mum and my mum played against each other. And me and Mark were always in the you know, after, the, after it was all over and the parents were probably inside having a burger and a, a beer, we were out in the field hitting the hockey ball all the time and uh, my cousins were there and there was a whole bunch of us just mucking around. He was always uh, there being annoying.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that commercial with Maccas when they, the two best mates, they meet up and they're eating chicken nuggets and he has to break the news to him that he's dating his sister? <laughs> How did Mark break the news to you?
0: It was that oh, I knew it was going on um, because, yeah, my, my sister told me, but then he was a bit nervous about it. Was he? <laughs> uh, and it was at my mate's wedding, actually. Uh, I was at Luke Dorner's wedding, a good mate of mine who also represented Australia for hockey. Yeah. We're in Melbourne. And he goes, oh, yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm with your sister. I went, yeah, yeah, I know, uh, whatever. Did a, at least while you were be. No, well, the beers are free because we're at a wedding, so... <laughs> cheeky,
1: cheeky bugger. He, he, <laughs> yeah, play, yeah typical Nolsey. <laughs>
0: nah, but I, I knew it was happening and I'm, I was happy and now they're very happy, you know, that three kids living in Brisbane and... Yeah. and um, yeah. It would have been
1: pretty amazing when you all went to the Olympics, though, because you said your cousin was in the team as well. Yeah. The amount of support from your family seeing that Nolsey was in there, you and your cuz.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit strange because, <laughs> you know, everyone thinks that we're all inc- incested in uh cancer, you know, <laughs> yeah, m- yeah. marks my brother-in-law and matt Godis is my cousin and then yeah but no it was good it's uh, that's one of the highlights i guess of my career is um playing with my cousin at the olympics and with mark who's and good mate of mine as well off the field and yeah it's um it's something that i don't know it just felt special That's for it just felt like we're in Rockhampton hitting the ball around in the backyard (laughs) but we're at the olympic games
1: so Jamie, at 17, you make the decision that you want to move to Brisbane to actually pursue this. What what was the kind of decision process like? Because it's not, you know, we spoke about before, you don't know what the end sort of, in terms of like making a career in terms of money, it's still a little bit of limbo. So to take the chance to move to Brisbane, that's that's a big move for a 17-year-old.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was probably the biggest move for me um, that I ever did, actually. Um, it's not that, looking at it now, it's not far, it's only Rockhampton to Brisbane, but for me, it was a big, big move and something that I'm glad I did, obviously, but at the time it was very difficult. I I decided a couple of years before that, mm. I decided when a letter came in the mail for me um, to go to Brisbane for cricket. Yep. They offered me a contract to go, oh, not a contract, like a scholarship, scholarship sort, of thing, sort of thing out yeah. of school and play some cricket. And I was talking to mum and dad and... uh my aunties and uncles and all that were sort of pushing me towards cricket. They're like you're better at cricket, there's more money in cricket, go for cricket. And I was like, "No, nah, I don't want to play cricket." And my dad knew it and I said to dad, then I said, "Look, if I win a gold medal, will I ever have to work again?" What do you say? He said, "No, nah, probably not. You probably if you win a gold medal." <laughs> he he didn't obviously think that I'd go and win a gold medal. Um, but he lied to me because I'm definitely working <laughs> and I want to go on metal. I'm probably working harder than what I was when I was an athlete. But um, at that stage, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a crack. Mm. And I had a couple more years of school left and I finished that year, that schooling. And I thought, oh, I've got to do it. got to do it. I've got to chase my dream. If I didn't chase my dream, I'd still be in Rockhampton probably regretting, yeah, wishing sure. that I had of – um, gone for it so I went to Brisbane that was difficult actually because I was working uh, prop- a job which was 40 hours training and what were you doing I was, I was working in a, a it's called Lincoln and Century, selling like bolts and um, all you know stuff like light bulbs and all everything yeah um, and the guy who owned that still is involved with that club so I went down to that club work work there and just in the factory really packing yep. and sending and then training and then sort of 2 years went by and I was like oh, cuz the next step is to go over to Perth and mm. I really didn't get too many chances and I wasn't really I was improving a little bit but not as much as what I was hoping but then yeah my chance got got um came a couple of years later when they invited me over to Perth
1: yeah so in terms of getting the invitation over is there a, do they is it like scouts that are checking you out watching you play do you have to go to a training camp like how do they actually select you to go back over to perth
0: Yeah a bit of both so you have the training camps in perth but you also have the um, state competition national competition so mm-hmm. I play for Queensland yep that uh see how I was going for Queensland team um, then you've got the Queensland Academy of Sport coach or the Queensland coach. Yep. Always in contact with the Australian coach and the Australian coach probably asking him, you know, who's there, how much who's talent good, there, yeah. who's good and hopefully he put my name up but – um, it took me a while, you know. It took me probably a couple of years longer than what I was hoping for yeah. to make to crack it into the Australian team. And
1: Did they give you feedback in terms of why?
0: No, not really because I was in Brisbane for a couple of years and that's the standard procedure. You go to a, to yep. a bigger city, unless I was brought up from there, and then moved over to Perth when I was 19 and then it took me three years in Perth before I played my first game for Australia. Okay. These days... If you get invited to Perth, you pretty much get a go. Yeah, Yeah. Um, whether you're in the squad or not, because they rotate the squad around a lot more these days, Mm. they give you a go and you know sort of see how you see how you go. But it took me three years, and Terry Walsh, Terry Walsh was the coach um, for the lead up into Sydney, so ninety nine two thousand. I didn't get a go, and other other mates of mine were getting a go, and I thought, oh come on, I'm I'm as good as these guys. Like just give me a crack. But I didn't get that opportunity, and then uh, maybe luckily uh, Terry Walsh got sacked and Barry Dancer came in, and Barry Dancer, after the Australian hockey competition, said, look, you're in the Australian squad, mm. we're, um, we're playing in a couple of months against New Zealand, you're going to be in the team, and I was over the moon. Like I was in Canberra, he told me in the hallway, and I was just like, yes, finally I'm going to be an Australian player, so... It took me a while to get there, and I was 22 when I played my first game for Australia, and that's quite late.
1: Like Most guys probably play 19, 20 years of age. And when you consider you're the most capped player of all time.
0: Yeah, I went on for a fair while, but it took me a while to get you know, there. Some yeah.
1: people debut at, what, 17, 18 years old, right?
0: Yeah, some uh, some do, 18, not too many 17-year-olds, but 18, 19, uh, those guys that debut. And and then those guys that haven't made it when they're 20, 21, they're like, oh, what do I have to do? This is this is not fair. And I'm, well, mate, it's that sticking I'd, point, isn't it, whether yeah. you're going to
1: quit and go back to just normal life or stick it out and see if yeah. you can
0: it. Well, that's the thing in Perth because you get, go over to Perth and you train and you, you earn your oh, – back those days, I was earning $125 for a week. Yeah. And I have to pay my rent and food and everything out of that. And then if you don't make it, like, if you get cut, it's like, okay, go back to your home state and good luck. Yeah, it can be Pretty tough much. on players
1: too, because Mark explained that depending on where you finish in the yeah, rankings right. and the Olympics it will depend how much budget gets sent back to the players as well. So, yeah. some, some years you could be making quite a lot of money, and the other years you could be making nothing at all, right?
0: Depends what you say, quite a lot of money. It's either between 35000 to probably $20,000. Yeah. So, yeah, it's financially, you know that at the start, you're not playing hockey for the financial money. rewards. You're playing it because you love it and because you get the opportunity to go to the Olympic Games and hopefully have some success. You can go overseas and earn a little bit more money than that. Yep. Um, and that's Hockey Indian League, which come in for four or five years which was great for money. And you got other competitions around the world which pay a little bit of money. But um, in Australia, because of the non-Olympic sports, I guess, um, take up all the money, the Olympic yeah, sports sure. get... Um, suffer I guess with the budget but yeah the other opportunities in hockey which probably uh, the connections you have with people um, that are working yeah. like, so that's what I say to young fellows these days or young girls I say look sort out what you want mm. what you want to do if you want to be an accountant you go to your club you ask you you know I want to be an accountant is there any accountants you can going? sort of yeah, yeah. teach me for up until life after hockey, and once I've retired, then you can walk straight
1: into that job. So it's kind of like a foot in the door sort of networking. Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's what it should be, definitely. That's what it is.
1: Yeah. So Jamie, you picked the number one, (laughs) and you got presented by one of the former players, I've got it written down, David Lansborough.
0: Wandsborough, yeah.
1: Wandsborough, my apologies. So how did it feel when, because he was a bit of a legend, right? He was, yeah. Yeah, how did it feel when, when he was presenting you for your first time?
0: Yeah, it felt unbelievable. I was in Melbourne and um, it was the night before we played our first game yeah. against New Zealand, my first game against New Zealand. And I watched uh, David Wandsborough in the 92 Olympics and um, thought he was an unbelievable player. He's one of my idols, I guess, him and a few other guys. He was definitely up there.
1: Did he play your position?
0: Uh sort of. He played left midfield yeah. and I played there and Back those days, you had one position and you stuck to that position. Yep. These days, it's much more versatile. versatile. You play, yep. you play everywhere. So, um, yeah, he presented me my shirt, and and um, yeah, I'm still really good friends with him. I was in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and had a game of golf with him. And yeah, yeah cool. he's a nice guy. And I stay at his place sometimes when I go to Melbourne. There so it's, it's pretty good how it all works out. That's for sure. But getting presented the shirt was definitely one of the highlights of, yeah, my life, and I'll always remember. I'll always remember that moment,
1: that's for sure. Yeah, Jamie, was there anything behind the number
0: one? Yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, a couple of reasons. When I was a kid growing up I in Rockhampton, we had a goalkeeper <clears throat> um, who went to the Olympics, a yeah. lady goalkeeper who went to the Olympics. Her name was Kim Island. Okay. Uh, I forget which Olympics she went to, I think, 84.
1: So she was a bit of a rock star up there?
0: She was a bit of a rock star. She was the goalkeeper, so she had number one. She come around and she gave me a couple of her shirts, so I'd wear these shirts breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> to bed. Like want to wear it to school. I always wear the Australian number one on my back because what she gave me. Yeah. And then when I finally finally made the team, um, there was a all the rookies were there, and we're at the airport about to part somewhere, and the manager of the Australian team rings up. Yep. Yeah he rung up my mate and he said, hey, mate, you've got to choose between number one, six, 13, and 20, high 20s.
1: Okay.
0: And he chose number six. I was like, okay. Then he passed me the phone. He said, okay, Jamie, you've got to choose between number one, number 13. And number 13 didn't really appeal to me because Jay Stacey, uh, legend of the Australian men's hockey team, worn it for the last 12 years and he's the highest cap player and yeah, I just—I didn't feel right to take number thirteen. I didn't, didn't really it, want yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, so I thought, yeah, well, it has to be number one. So I took number one. Uh, in those days, it was really uncommon for a field player to wear number, number one. one. I was probably the first player, I reckon, in the world to wear number one on the field. Always goalkeeper, Dolphins, and even yeah. when I'd play against teams like Germany and uh, and other. Holland and those places, countries, they'd always say, "Why you went number one? You're not the goalkeeper." And yeah, I said because I was the shortest, but uh, (laughs) it worked out, and yeah, it was just meant to be. And then everywhere I went, every club I went to from then on, just always just gave me number one.
1: <laughs> it's a bit of a legacy new thing now, right? You at least just yeah, said something maybe. for yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. And now when I watch international hockey, there's a lot more number ones out there on the field running around. And influence, makes mates. me feel that yeah, I've had a bit of an influence on their career. And they they come up to me and most of them, they say, look, I've, I went number one because you were number one. I was like, thanks very much.
1: <laughs> makes you feel good. So, Jamie, that debut game, I heard you speak in... Didn't you miss a sitter on your very first touch?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I started on the bench, and I was super excited to get out there. My mum and dad, and my sisters were up in the grandstand watching, and my mate got hit in the head, and he had a bit of a um, bit of blood coming off his eye, so he had to come off. So I ran on, and I, I thought, yes, this is awesome. I'm <laughs> I'm in an, an Australian player now. And one of my first touches was a beautiful pass from Bevan George. Good, excellent player and good mate of mine. Yep. I was inside the circle, about 10 yards out, no one around me. And normally, like at training, I'd just 99 times out of 100, I'd just trap it and just all I'd do was hit it in the corner. And I'd save much time. Normally you don't get that much time, but I trapped it. Great trap. Ball was sitting perfectly, and I was like, just smash it. And I slipped a little bit and missed the ball and uh, <laughs> had a air swing for my first shot, international hockey. After I missed that shot, I thought, oh, well, <laughs> there's your career. It's done. <laughs> I'll never get to play for Australia again. But no, nah, I end up, <laughs> end up playing pretty good that game and got to score a goal eventually. But yeah, my first international shot, I completely missed the ball and had an air swing.
1: What did the old boys say to just forget about it, Jamie? Just get on with the job. Yeah. Well, that's
0: the good thing about hockey because it goes so quick that no one could really sledge me from the opposition. Oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and the other guys are like, just, yeah can't really say anything because you're always communicating to mark up or to you know next next what's your next thing next yep. job so yeah i quickly forgot about it and luckily i've got short-term memory loss and uh, <laughs> i just uh, forgot about it moved on and yeah got to uh play a few more games for australia
1: did you boys get up in that first one
0: yeah we won three one three one yeah i scored a goal i think it was the second goal and then we we won the yeah. It was a three-test series against New Zealand, and we won every game.
1: Yeah, because from the from the two thousand Olympics, you had a lot of retirements, right? So there was a lot of old boys getting out of the squad, and you, a lot of you young boys got thrust into the squad. How difficult was it trying to be part of that kind of rebuild?
0: Not really difficult, actually. I I thrived off it. I wanted to um, show the coach and everyone that the young guys coming through were good enough. Yep. Um, we had nothing to lose, you know, because all the, the other guys were out. Um, so I just went for it and I tried to cement, me personally, I tried to cement myself in that team mm. as soon as I possibly could. And after that first game, which um, when I played, I thought, okay, this is this is what I want to do. I love this. Mm. I want to go out there and I want to I play hockey for Australia for as long as I can because it was just, I just felt that real energy, that buzz, that, yeah, just excitement It is something that I always wanted to do, and I got to do it, and I was like, just keep going, just do it and yeah. do it. So after that game, I was like, all right, keep improving
1: every single day. Are you a goal setter? Did you write it
0: down? Yeah, or I'm, a, stuff? I'm a big goal setter, yeah. and always have been. Um, and I wrote this stuff down. Little small goals, and yep. then big goals. So at the start of the year, you've got tournaments where you want to peak at, mm-hmm. and you've got down periods. And so I'd just set out these goals: what I wanted to achieve, um, for the year. Yep. Uh, when my down periods were time to get away from the sport and relax and do other things. Uh, and then I'd set weekly goals and mm-hmm. daily goals, pretty much. So instead of it's easy, like when you're Just watching hockey players, you probably think, "Oh, it's all awesome. You know, everything's great." But sometimes you go to training at five o'clock in the morning. You you don't want to be there. Yeah. But for me, it was important to set a little goal the night before. So, okay, I don't want to miss my back stick trapping, Mm. or I want to practice my three D, like look ball lifting in the air with my. um, So I've got it under control. Just little things like that, which which made me focus. Every day and just made me improve a little bit by a little bit. And then you've got the long-term goals. And I've always set goals. And after I retired, that was, I guess, one thing which I still wanted to do. And it was quite difficult uh, to do at first because I'm not... So I set little goals now into my work and what Business I do goals, at work yeah. and family goals and because mm-hmm. that's for me that works well so that's what I did.
1: Yeah. So the lead up into Athens 2004 wasn't great for you because you did your ACL. How tough? Because that was 2003 when you did your ACL, and that's especially someone that relies on their speed so much. That's a pretty cruel. That's a pretty cruel injury to do. Yeah. How did you originally do it?
0: Uh. Well, I did it in the 2003 Champions Trophy in Mm. Amsterdam. It was the first 10 minutes of the first game, and I was up against the goalkeeper one-on-one pretty much. I got a a nice ball, and I was away. And I went around him, and he came out, and he slid and hit my knee. And then I was like, I was in pain. It it hurt a lot. And then after about three or four minutes, I was like, okay, it feels okay. So I went off, and then I did a couple of laps up and down the sideline, and I said, "Oh, doc, just doesn't feel right." And he just felt my knee and said, "Oh, yeah, you've done your ACL. You're out for a year." Wow. And I was like, "Jeez," because 2001 was a good year, like for me, yeah. like to get my debut. I played 21 games that year. Went to the major tournament for the year, the Champions Trophy. I uh, was like improving all the time and had a solid first year. 2002 for me was an unreal year. Uh, we have come second at the World Cup. Yep. Uh, we won the Commonwealth Games. I hit a hat trick in the final and then Champions Trophy. I played really well and I, I think I played like 33 games that year and scored 24 goals. So I was, I was sort of building up. And then 20, 2003, I was, I got really, really fit mm-hmm. and I was faster. So all my testing, physical testing results were, were at my peak, I guess, then. And then this injury came and, uh, the, the doc said, Look, you won't you're not gonna play f- for a year. This was one year exactly oh, before on. the Olympic Games first game. Yeah. And then uh, he said, Look, and if, even if you do come back, you're not gonna be as fast, you're not gonna be as fit, and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, Oh, that was a bit of a kick in the guts, so, so to speak. So I came back to Australia quickly, I got the operation done in Brisbane. Yeah. I was bit I was fairly down because I couldn't do I anything and yeah. And uh, my knee was in a um, in a brace, and and I couldn't do anything. And then I was out fishing. I was in Rockhampton. I went out fishing, and I was like, "This is good to get out, go do a bit of fishing. This is pretty good fun." And then, but my mates or the team were away in New Zealand or somewhere, then playing hockey. And I was like, oh, but I really want to be playing hockey." And sort of like, after that, I was like, right, I have to do do everything I can to make the Olympic team." So. After about seven months out, so I had the operation exactly 11 months before the before first before. game, and I was out for seven months, so that gave me another four months of hockey to try and firstly impress the coaches and show them that I'm right to make the team.
1: Yeah, were well, you shooting yourself that first game back?
0: Oh, no, not really. No. I was sort of, yeah, I was. I guess I was pretty young and just, I just didn't really think about the consequences i just wanted to go out there and just play hockey yeah. and,
1: and you had that goal on the back of your morning i you had wanted. that goal yeah. and it
0: was pretty short term i had to quickly get there otherwise it was all or nothing pretty much so i'd played and i wasn't great i was pretty poor actually and i played a few games here in sydney and then we went overseas and we had the tournament over there and i started off okay got worse and worse and worse then after that tournament, I went back to Rockhampton again, and that's uh, I got the call from the coach said you're in the you're in the Olympic team, and I was over the moon.
1: You didn't think it was going to happen, did you? Oh, or did you have a bit of a? You Olympic
0: always do weekend? the numbers like in those Olympic years. You look at your teammates and you see who's definite in, who's maybe. Yeah. Where you, where do you sit?
1: And you have to be versatile too, so you can play more than one position. Yeah, those days I was more
0: just a striker, Stryker, outright yeah. striker. But you have to be realistic with your chances and. I think, I don't know, I haven't spoke to the coach who picked me about it ever, but, um, yeah, I think there was probably two or three guys that were definites in there, and there was mm. me and a couple of others. I would have been a, probably a definite if I hadn't been injured, but because of my, my injury for so long and the doctors saying that I can't be you know, as fit and as fast and all that sort of put doubt in my mind and put doubt maybe in the coach's mind, but picked me, and uh, <laughs> my knee still wasn't great all the way up to the Olympics and I was getting acupuncture and massages and everything. And, yeah, got to the Olympics and everything just seemed to click and it just felt like it was – I would no – like I just went into that Olympics with, yeah, no expectations, just go for it. And yeah. just everything just worked out well and clicked. Not everything, like it was still tough times at the Olympics with a few games and um, a few – things off field which always challenge you like because with the hockey players we're not used to the press and all that sort of yep. stuff so little things like that challenge you from time to time. Because it's um, interesting
1: because once it's the Olympics because the Kookaburras K- are one of the most watched teams at the for Australia at the Olympics okay. so obviously the expectations must go through the roof in terms of bringing
0: oh, home a medal, right? Yeah, we said, oh, we, the amount of interviews I had there was like, oh, years of the bridesmaids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I've never been to Olympics, so. <laughs> you um, know. Yeah, I don't know. This is my first time and I'm here and I'm hopefully we do well. And I honestly thought that we did have a pretty good chance because we were so fit. Yeah. We were the fittest team by far. Our form hadn't been great going into it, which isn't such a bad thing because I thought, you know, it's – all the bad stuff is sort of a little bit behind yeah. us. We're on our way up a little bit. So I just, I had a good feeling. And
1: But you only just stuck into the semis, right?
0: Oh, not really. No. Nah. Well, our first game, we beat New Zealand yep. 4-1. It was 8.30 in the morning. We had to play. It was like 40 degrees. Yeah. So we got up at 4. We went for a... Would you eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we... We went to bed early. Yeah, I mean, that's difficult because you know you play that eight thirty the next day, like you're, you're like so excited. Yeah, but we got up at four o'clock. And we went for a jog and it was still dark. And um, yeah, in the village at four o'clock in the morning, there's a few uh, things that are happening which we were running past, which was quite interesting to see. <laughs> and then we ran into the uh, food court and had a breakfast and all that nervous energy some guys were really deep in thought and some guys were like super excited
1: and playing new zealand too the, the yeah wilds, you know? but
0: just your, your first game i think is always a little bit nerve-wracking and then it was a long bus trip out there we took about 35 40 minutes in the bus and i'd put the headphones on and listen to listen to my um ipad um little cassette uh, yeah, tape back whatever then. it was back then what was Probably it? Probably a Sony cassette tape or something. No, it was no uh, MP3 player. No, Apple bought out something. Um, oh, like one of those iPod,
1: uh, iPad, not my iPad, iPod mini yeah, or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, I had this back then, I had the 35 minutes of the same music for each game. But yeah, yeah. I remember some guys throwing up in the bus and some really? guys, yeah, and I was like, whoa, they're pretty nervous. <laughs> but uh, we went out there and it was forty something degrees, and one of the New Zealand guys was a big fella. He lost about seven kilos that day in the game. In Jesus. the game, but we got the job done. Then the second game we drew against Argentina two all. Yep. The third game was against New uh, was against India. Mm-hmm. And that was a really important game for us. Well, three one up, got back to three
1: all. And they're ranked three by two, aren't they? Yeah,
0: they were, they're either really good or not so good, okay. and that day they were really good. And anyway, we scored in the last five seconds or something to win four three. Then we had to beat South Africa, and we should beat South Africa. We beat them four two, I think. And then the last game was against Holland, which was a dead rubber because we were both in the semi-finals, and yeah. they beat us two one. Did Either- you rest players or no? Nah, we played really well. We just hit the post three times, okay. and-, and it was actually good to probably have a loss. Like you always in those tournaments, if you go through undefeated. Yeah, you can always win it, but and it's always. Would you beat one.
1: Netherlands twice in a? It, was it be nearly impossible uh, to beat them twice in a tournament?
0: Nah, not really. Back then, maybe yeah. um, because they were probably the favourites going into it. Yep. That's for sure. They won ninety six Olympics, two thousand Olympics, so they're probably the favourites. But uh, then the semi final, we on fire. We won six three against Spain, and then coming into the final against Holland, I, I remember it like yes, they did our warm up. Out on the second field, did a few laps, and there down the other end of the field, and I was just thought, "Oh, well, you know this is no matter what we get a medal, so <laughs> that's good, but just try and win <laughs> That's what I was thinking <laughs> to myself <laughs> and uh everyone was once again pretty nervous, but um, I remember I ran in to the dugout first, or so I was running into the change rooms, and this little Dutch kid was standing up top in the grandstand, looking at me, yelled out to me, hey, you're going to lose. <laughs> he's and giving I it just, to you. <laughs> yeah, he's giving it to you. It made me smile, and I thought, oh, okay, all right. Once you sort of – if you can smile in those circumstances, you sort of just feel a bit more relaxed. Yeah, for sure. Then I go in to the change room, put my headband on, which was a bit of a um, – yeah, it's just my ritual thing I did back then and did my shin guards and shoes and – Ran out in the field and was like, "All right, it's go time. Let's let's do this." And we played so good the first half, <laughs> but uh, we just couldn't score. Yeah. And then we're one <laughs> nil down at halftime. Walking into the change room at halftime, like, "Oh no, like this is bull crap. Like this so the archer. mood was pretty pretty down. At half-time. For me, it was yeah. yeah. Walking in uh, was was down because I thought we couldn't have played any better. We should we should have been three nil up. Yeah, got ya. But they've got a Nice goal, which was a good goal, but we just couldn't score. And then I thought, oh, second half, they're probably just going to get a corner, flick it in, and it's hard to score two goals and a half. Mm. So I thought, ah. But then the coach, um, Barry Dancer, said, look, we haven't lost a second half performance for the last 30-something games, which gave me a lot of confidence. And he's mm. like, just keep going because they're cracking, we're playing well. And looking at the tape, yeah, we did play well, and we did deserve to win that game and the second half came and we just scored quickly after the second half and then went to extra time and uh, I got the golden goal and then we went and celebrated for a couple of months <laughs> so- take
1: me through that golden goal because I was watching it the other day and what well, you had the what a penalty corner was it and it gets flicked back in they do you guys do the fake it gets put onto you and then you hit it and it hits off the to- yeah, paper. so
0: what happens yeah, back those days, there's two, seven and a half minute extra time and it was golden goal. Mm. And once you get a corner, someone runs to the coach on the sideline, gets the, gets the call, what the corner is, yep. then runs back on, delivers it to the guys in the, a bit of a huddle. And once the message was delivered, because we had that opportunity, I had that opportunity twice during normal time, yep. and I got the shot away. It was just a good uh, save by the goalkeeper. And we're like, should we change it? Should we just uh, like trap it and flick it in, which is the simplest um, of corners to execute? Yep. And probably percentage-wise, maybe easier to execute as well. But um. The captain at that time, Brent Livermore, said, no, let's, let's stick to what the coach said because hmm. we, we never, ever change what the, coaches, yeah. the coach says, ever. Did it have so, a name for the play? Yeah, it was something like 4A or 3B okay. or something something like that. And we'd practice it hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the year. And we did the exact same one in the semifinal, but it went the other way. Mm-hmm. So it's an option corner. So depending on how the defence runs out the guy um, has an option. So one of the guys says no, it goes that way. If it's if he says yes, it goes the other way. Yep. So it came to me because of the way the people ran out. And I didn't have as much time as what I thought, so I, normally I'd flick it, but it was on me a little bit closely, so I thought I'm going to just hit it. Mm. And it missed his foot by the guy who was running out to me by about one or two centimetres, wow. and then went up like, in between the keeper's pads and up into the goal. And then I was like, did that actually just go in? Like, it felt like time stopped for a second.
1: It was so slow.
0: Yeah, I felt like it paused. like, you know, when you, like, watch the Matrix movie and, like, it just, everything stopped. Like, it felt exactly <laughs> like that. I was like, that went in and it just felt like I just captured a moment of pausing, yep, that actually went in. And then I just ran off and uh, went, yeah, we celebrated and had a, Good
1: night. How hard was the? Was it like a party for a week? Or
0: oh uh, because the game was at nine thirty that night, we uh, we got in the change rooms and you know there was some people there that like uh, James Tompkins and other guys who are legends of the sport. Yeah, John Eels was our liaison officer. Yeah, cool. And we ran out of beers pretty quickly because those bigger fellas like them can throw Fresh them right. down pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. So John Eels went up, went up to the bar. And swapped, uh, swapped his Australian shirt for a carton of beer and brought down the carton of beer <laughs> shirtless. <laughs> yeah. So here you go, fellas. And and we Good all legend. jumped on the bus together and we were uh, going back there just singing songs. Then we got into our apartment building back home. It would have been about 1 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock. So we thought we'll just stay here tonight and just celebrate as a team. And it was just awesome. Like we had... Our whole team there. Then you have like people like John Eels sitting next to me, and other like sporting legends there. And then Laurie Lawrence walks in in just his jocks. <laughs> it's about two thirty in the morning. Guys, be quiet, be quiet. He says this poem about you know just really fires you up about being Australian Good. and all this. Ah, oh, everyone's cheering. Then he's like, but guys, be quiet because our basketballers have got a final tomorrow. The girls are playing in the no, final. Richard. So just be quiet a little bit. And we're like, okay, okay, no worry, Laurie. Uh, Laurie. Laurie. yeah. And um, just moments like that that really stick in your head. And then after that, yeah, we we had another three days of um, before we left Athens. And we'd, yeah, all caught up as a team with the family the next day. And yeah. Really Like, had a great time with the family, and then, yeah, there's a couple other parties uh, here and there. And the best part about winning gold medal, well, not the best part, but a good part about winning gold medal, you get to sit uh, first class on the way home. So, yeah, you get chucked up the front end, while the people who don't win (laughs) are at the back. counter class. (laughs) So, it was the best sleep I've ever had, I reckon, on the first class, just laid the seat back and passed out the whole way home.
1: Jamie, how hard is it? Like once you cuz when you won the gold medal, you were still a young black. what are you 23, 24 uh, years 25, old? 25, yeah. Still at 25 years old, achieving cuz that's the ultimate literally in your sport is to win the Olympic gold medal. How hard is it cuz you went to another three? How hard is it to not get yourself up for it? But is the motivation different once you you win it?
0: No, I don't think it is. No, I think the motivations, well, for me anyway, it was still there, mm. was very high. And I think we had really good chance in 2008, 2012 to win gold medals. Uh We just fell short. It's not easy winning yeah, a gold it. medal. You need
1: everything to fall your way. Well, you talked about centimeters in that shot. Oh,
0: yeah. But, <clears> I mean, we had our opportunities in 2008. I think 2008 was probably a better, maybe a better team. I'm yep. not sure. Um. But, yeah, the motivation was there, and that was one thing which also I, was, I guess I was proud of because later in 2004, I got voted best player in the world mm. for the first time, but I really didn't want to settle there. I wanted to keep pushing myself, and the after the Olympics in 2004 is when I went over to Holland and played my first year over in Holland. Yep. And I played with some of the best players in the world, and we had a we had a great coach. So I really, and it's a different style. So I really yeah. learnt over there and um, added to my game. And is it uh, hard to adjust? Yeah, it is hard. Yeah, it's quite difficult. Yeah, um, to adjust. And but you do walk away after a year being over there, being a better player.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. For sure. Is that from getting uncomfortable? Is that
0: uncomfortable? Different tackling, different. Uh, just different game, a little bit.
1: Will they speak English or will they have a mix of kind no, uh, of... a
0: bit of a yeah, bit of mix. Yeah. Like they all speak perfect English, but um, all the meetings and all the on-field talk is always in Dutch. In Dutch, yeah. Um, then if I didn't understand anything, they'd translate it to me. But uh, going over there um, made me a better player and then I sort of wanted then just to keep improving my... Uh, Australia was always my number one... Priority and to represent Australia and play well for Australia at the major tournaments. In 2006, we at the World Cup in Germany, we just lost. We were three-one up at um, at halftime and lost four-three. The Germans were good, I must admit, and they probably deserved to win that. But we could have we could have got that one. In 2008, Olympics come and uh, we we're good there, but we were, we slipped up against Spain. Mm-hmm. I think us and Spain were the best two teams in the world at that time. And unfortunately, we met them in the semi-final. And then 2010 World Cup was really one I wanted to win because 2002 World Cup, we lost to Germany. 2006 World Cup, we lost to Germany. So 2010 was really important one for me because I was playing really good hockey. Yeah. I was 31 years of age. I didn't know if I had another World Cup left in me. And uh, we had the best team by a mile. And I thought, let's uh we just got to put this together. We lost our first game against England, and then we went through and we got the job done and that was my first world cup and something i was I was really happy with that one yeah. really happy and then twenty twelve come well, once again we played well, but we just couldn't play well enough on the day and uh twenty fourteen was the world Cup in Holland when we smashed the Dutchies six one in the final. Which was definitely a, yeah. Well, that's the biggest scoreline ever in a World Cup. Like the most out of all the World Cups for the male, it's always been just two or one goals. Yeah. But to win six one against sixteen thousand uh, orange shirts in a in a soccer stadium in in Den Haag was pretty awesome fun, and we were untouchable that tournament. Yeah. Everything just worked. Every player played well. It was just just meant to couldn't be. touch us. Yeah.
1: Jamie, we were talking at breakfast before about, you know, players like Cameron Smith and Jonathan Thurston. You know, in league, they're, they're rated as the best of the best, you know, the one, three or four player of the years. Now, you were world player of the year five times. What does that carry in terms of... I know that you're probably very, very proud of the fact that you were recognised as the best player in the world, but for you to do it year after year, because in your sport, usually it's a different player each year, but for you to do it five times, that's an incredible achievement. Did you have a bit of an expectation that once you won a medal, that was something that you wanted to do, just consistently be the best player?
0: No, it's not something I set a goal to be the best player in the world. Mm. That wasn't a goal of mine ever. Um, it was a goal of mine to be the best player I could possibly become, but uh, net, not to win those awards. And in 2004, it was, it was great to win that award. Um, I wasn't the best player in the world for that year, but I was one of the probably the best player or one of the best players at the Olympics, which is the major tournament, and we won. So to be voted that year, um, and I think I got over 50% of the votes from my peers, so from other international players, um, was very – I was a bit surprised, to be honest, but, um, yeah, I thought, yeah, that's that's awesome. Shows the respect that the players had for you too. Yeah, that's true. I felt (laughs) – I felt like it wasn't just my award. I felt it was, a, it was more of a team, team award yeah. because if I didn't have that team around me who make me look good, um, I wouldn't have won that award. So to do that was was great. Um, I guess 2007 was when I won it for the second time. I was like, okay, this is this is nice because it just shows it wasn't a one-off. Yeah. And then in 2009 when the Australian team was – Unbelievable, uh, and I had a really good year as well. Two thousand nine, um, I played over in Europe again that year, and I yep. won in Europe. I won the the European Hockey League as well, which is like the Champions League of soccer. Uh, and then we we won everything. The Australian team were too good, and I was the captain, one of the captains, and to win it then was was great as well. And but and then again in two thousand ten and two thousand eleven, I won it, but. I guess I never, when I was playing I, it, it didn't. I never thought that. Yeah, this is really great. I thought, yeah, it's good that I won this award, but it's just because I'm in a good team. Yeah. Now I've retired. Uh, it sort of probably means a little bit more to me to be named best player in the world five times. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna yeah, be hard to buy. The other closest is Turn yeah. to Neuer, who's won it three times. Yeah. And then yeah, like you said, like people like Mark and a couple of Germans and uh a belgian guy they've all won it once Once, so to win it five times yeah it's when i I still pinch myself that it's happened and to be voted by peers as well as extra special so but yeah i was just i'm very lucky that i was in a very good team that's Mm. for sure and um i guess maybe i stood out a couple of those times
1: now jamie just tell me a little bit about leadership because you know you had the honor of captaining your country what was it, you know, it's obviously an, an honour, but how did you feel about the extra kind of responsibility of having to lead the team?
0: Yeah, it was for me it was pretty easy. I didn't change at all. Um, mm. I'm a different leader to Mark Knowles, um, to Bevan George, other guys. I think because we had a co-captains, like sort of leadership group yeah, as well, so sort of we system, had the rotation yeah. thing, so... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, so it wasn't really too much pressure on me. Like I was captain one day and then someone else was captain the next day. Yeah. It was just a bit – I was always in the media anyway. Did you like uh, that style? Uh, for me, I think uh, – I would have liked to have tried both. For me, it was just that style. I would have it, tried yeah. it, uh, one. But in hockey, you don't really – It's. It's just more about the media and leading, by example, at trainings and on the field. And when I was older, it was hard for me to do that because once I got to 32, 33 years of age, I couldn't physically do what I used to do when I was 25 to to that age because I had to sort of hold myself back a little bit. So don't do as much, but do it better when I actually was doing it and do more yoga, more strength in the gym rather than going out doing a 10K run, for example. Yeah. So... I mean, I always, I guess, led in my own way. Even when I wasn't the captain, I I always said what I believed and I always tried to make it in the best interest of the team. Yeah. Whether that always come across like that or or not, I'm not too sure. But always, like, I'm a pretty simple guy and I just always wanted what was best for the team. That was it. And I just said it the way it was and some coaches mightn't have felt like that. Yeah. Some might have appreciated what I was saying, Um, but... Yeah, I just said it how it was, pretty much. I didn't, I didn't hold back because I thought if I have the right intentions, it should be fine. Yeah. And one thing which, I guess, frustrated me in the Australian team was I saw how how quickly it wasn't the Australian team; it was more the Australian organisation. I saw how quickly the, the Dutch were growing mm. their numbers over there, and Belgium, and UK, and other countries I'd been to. How hockey was so much fun and the numbers were growing and it frustrated me coming back to Australia and just seeing it as a, you know, number and 10, sport, number one sport. Yeah. I do get it because of our country and because of um, sports like rugby league, AFL, um, cricket, uh, they're non-Olympic sports, which have huge participants and all the heroes that you see on television of every kid is, you know, Nick Nack Nui or Justin Thurston, yeah, which yep. is fair enough. I love mm-hmm. those guys as well. But we, I think that was my frustration, um, I guess, playing overseas and coming back. And nice you see how popular it is over there, yeah. and
1: you want that in your own home country as well. Yeah.
0: But yeah, getting back to leadership, I guess I just, I just did it my way. And I think even when I wasn't captain, I said just as much as when I was captain, for example.
1: Yeah. Okay. I want to wrap the final topic up on the art of the comeback. Because in 2014 you get cut from the Commonwealth Games squad, and obviously that would have been pretty hard because you got an email from Rick saying that you weren't in the team anymore. Is that is that correct?
0: Yeah. So the 2014 World Cup was in June, end of June, Mm. and the Commonwealth Games I think was early July. So it was a quick turnaround, and we just won the World Cup, and I had a couple of injury, not injury issues going yeah. into the world cup got through the world cup okay obviously and then um was hoping to go to the com games and i was sort of planning on retiring mm. after the commonwealth games that was in my head anyway and I, that was yeah just something that i was going to do just to sign off on maybe hopefully a good commonwealth games but um yeah rick uh, sent me an email on a wednesday night it was after a state of origin game because i remember pretty clearly and he said uh you're not gonna. You're not in the team. Wow. Which was the procedure? It was to send emails. But yeah. Rick always, when I wasn't in a team, he'd, he'd always give out. me, you know, a quick chat and say, "Hey,
1: did it hurt you that he didn't ring you?"
0: Yeah, it did. And um, and then, then what hurt me the most was the next day or the day after, there was an email saying that he retired as coach. Yeah, okay. So I spoke to the other the current coaches after. <laughs> Sorry, after Rick had left, I said, did you have any say in the team or anything? He goes, no. Nah. They didn't know that Rick was going to retire. Wow. They rocked up the work and they saw the email and uh, that was it. So that was a bit weird and, you know, that's Rick. I guess he's, he's a bit different when it comes to that sort of thing where Barry Dancer would that would be the opposite. Those two are yeah. complete opposites. Opposites, yeah. yeah. Um, both have qualities, that's for sure, but just both completely different coaches. So I was pretty hurt, and then there was times that I was, I was going to retire. There days I was retired. I was like, that's it, I'm done. I told my wife, <laughs> I'm over it, am not going to do it anymore. Um, didn't tell anyone. And then next day I was like, no, nah, I'll be right, I'll just play on. Yeah. Had a chat to the newer coach, which was Graham Reed, and he didn't really give me any answers. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever you want. like." And I was like, okay, do you want me or do you not want me? And then I was like, okay. I had a look at the team. I was like, all right, I can. I think I can do this. So I got. Uh, I went to the Hockey Indian League in January yep. and played well. And then I uh, went to the Aslan Shah, played really well. And 2015, for me, was an unbelievable year. I played 30 games, scored 28 goals.
1: The statistically the best of your
0: career, wasn't it? Statistically the best by far. Um, played well at the World League 3 in Belgium. Went to the World League 4 in India, got player of the tournament. Yeah. So I played really well (coughs) Uh, So were you just
1: driven on this end goal or because at your age, it would have been hard to get your body ready? Yeah, that was the thing
0: which made me want to keep going was my body was good. Yeah. So I was still fast. I was still fit. um, I could do everything I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I couldn't push myself like I used to when I was ten, like when I was twenty five, twenty six. But I was at a level where I was fit enough and fast enough that I was happy with my performances. So yeah, I, I played really, really well that year. It's probably one of my best years I think I've ever played. Um, and then 2016, I also did all right. Um, scored a fair few goals. Played all right. At The Olympics. Um, all of us uh, didn't play to our potential, unfortunately, yeah. and, um, and that it was happens. a bit of a shame. It yeah. does happen. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a shame. You want at those tournaments, you want to play your best when your best is required, especially because you have to wait four years for the next opportunity if you get another opportunity. But. But to play four because was.
1: you're the oldest men's hockey player of all time in Australia, right? Yeah, and for you to actually come back after getting the disappointment, you wanted to retire yourself on your own terms in the Commonwealth Games. It must yeah. be pretty. It must be pretty proud, of, even after everything that you achieved. Yeah. The fact that at that age you did, were you able to get yourself back up for it? That's a big. That's oh a big thing, yeah. Mate.
0: And if you look at those two years between um, 2015 to the Olympics. I think I played forty six go- games and scored thirty six goals or something like statistically goals per games and the way I felt didn't get injured. Um, I was pretty happy. I was very happy actually. I guess why I continued was someone tried to retire me, but <clears throat> I wasn't ready to retire. So yeah.
1: Yeah, on your own terms. Yeah. Excuse me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go out on my own terms and. Uh, to be honest, those last two years were very, for me, very satisfying. I know we didn't get the outcome at the Olympics, which we wanted, but for me personally, I was quite happy. Um, and I looked at hockey a little bit differently as well. Like yeah. I looked at it as a job. Okay, this is this is my job. Go to work and do your job. And I'm good at my job. That's mm-hmm. what I kept telling myself. <coughs> Sorry, mate.
1: No, no. Take your time, bud. So, yeah, it was...
0: was pretty I don't know. I'm glad I did it anyway, in the end.
1: Alright, Jamie, let's wrap up with a couple of just rapid fire ones. Who was your toughest opponent? Germany. Player? Bjorn Emmerling. Why was from that? Germany.
0: Because he could attack, defend, both good both on his left and right side. No weaknesses.
1: When you got those player of the year awards, did you did you notice that you were getting like double team and triple teams and-
0: Early on, uh, in between two thousand and five to two thousand and eight. Uh, I was getting spot marked but after 2008 when the self-pass rule came on and the interchange was on and off, mm-hmm. uh, it was quite difficult to be able to spot mark me. So between 2005, 2008, I, I received a lot of attention, but after that, the game changed, so it was much more difficult.
1: Okay, favourite venue both overseas and in Australia? Uh,
0: favourite venue overseas would have been the World Cup. 2014 in the soccer stadium yep. uh, in den Haag in um, an actual soccer stadium he, yeah so they put a, a hockey turf in a soccer stadium
1: so what they do play it the opposite way like across?
0: no they played it normal so normal. It soccer fields 100 meters by 60 how far is her, what's a hockey field 90 90 yeah. one by 60 so I'll just pull it up a little bit short yeah yeah cool and india um because the supporters are crazy <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> who's your funniest teammate
0: des abbott um aboriginal guy from northern territory Yep. really i roomed with him in 2008 and he's a legend and very funny
1: just likes cracking the jokes just out yeah of the boys. he
0: does he's very quick-witted
1: <laughs> all right we're going to finish on my dinner party question now you're going to invite five people to a private dinner party you've got five invites now only rules no family or friends but you can invite anyone dead or alive Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods,
0: Tom Brady, Don Bradman. They're Don. And how many is that? Four. Four. Muhammad Ali.
1: There you go. Loves his sportsman. <laughs> Muhammad's looking at you right now, mate. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jamie, thanks so much for stopping by the podcast. Before I let you leave. Contact details for you. I know you've got your business, J.D. Hockey, www.jdhockey.com.au. No, it's jamiedewyerhockey.com.
0: Has it changed? Yeah, it's changed. Do they
1: just redirect? redirect. yeah. 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 So they can pick up their hockey sticks, now you do shoes, merchandise.
0: Yeah, so I started the business five years ago, and all the sticks are made in Pakistan, and they're really top quality at the moment. And now we're doing merchandise and getting into shoes. So. Yeah, it's becoming a, quite a big business, which uh, is all around the world now, everywhere, pretty much. So it's very good, and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, if you want a good hockey stick, go to jamiedoihockey.com.
1: Yeah, and Jamie, tell everyone about – because Jamie's got a few restaurants and cafes over in Perth. Now, there's a couple of good joints that he owns with Eamon Sullivan and, and Steve Hooker. Tell them a little bit about – your, your cafes and where they can they can go
0: yeah so i part own a restaurant on the beach in Leighton beach which is just below uh Cottesloe, and yep. it's called and tucker
1: can't get a better spot than that
0: it's a really really nice spot especially on a nice summer's day uh the food is excellent and the drinks are nice and fresh as always so the young gents out there <laughs> they can
1: bring a date there yeah it's, really it's perfect for a
0: date perfect for a date or even if you just go for a walk along the beach and go up and have a breakfast or a lunch there or dinner or whatever and may street larder which is in east Fremantle, and uh it's more of a cafe but it has unbelievable food and i recommend the soul sandwich which is a uh, waffle sandwich with fried chicken in the middle
1: so have you got a permanent <laughs> seat in this place mate
0: Oh, no, I know I don't have Dwyer's my seat. own seat, but the when thing. I rock up, I obviously get a table <laughs> <laughs> because I own the place.
1: <laughs> now, Jamie, you're also on social media, Facebook. Hope I get this one right, Jamie Dwyer Hockey. Instagram, JD Hockey Zero One, And you're on Twitter as well, Jamie Dwyer01.
0: Yes, that's it.
1: Perfect. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for stopping by the podcast. Really appreciate all the open and honest questions, uh, answers. Sorry, mate. And <laughs> hopefully we'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thank you very much. And that guys was Jamie Dwyer. Do be sure to follow him across all his different social medias, particularly Twitter. He's pretty active. Jamie Dwyer 01, also his Instagram jdhockey01 or Jamie Dwyer Hockey on Facebook. All right, next week on the show, we're going to have one of the NRL legends coming on, Jamie Lyon from the former Manly and Parramatta great. So, he's got some very interesting stories. We actually recorded it this week, so lots of Lots of stories, and I think, yeah, just I think a lot of Parramatta fans will be in anticipation of this one. We've also got Nick Phipps and Eric Grove Sr. recorded, and we've got a whole heap to record over the next couple of weeks. So staying pretty busy, please check out all the old episodes at www.talkingwithtk.com. As I mentioned at the intro, if you're a big hockey fan, please go back and listen to the ones with Rick Charlesworth and also Mark Knowles. I'm sure you'll get plenty out of those ones. Continue to please share it with your family and friends. Best way for me to grow is organically. So I really appreciate you telling telling your loved ones about the show because I do get messages about people sharing it. So you know, I really, really am grateful for that one. And if you can, please review us on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us to continue to grow. Alright guys, if you have any requests like I've mentioned before, please send them through. Tristan at talkingwithtk.com is my email. I always answer that myself. Or please connect on Twitter or on Facebook. I'm at Tristan. Sorry, I'm at Talking With TK. Alright guys, that was episode 106 with Jamie Dwyer. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.